Well, church family, I'm glad you're here with us on Easter Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. And you'll remember last Sunday on Palm Sunday that I told you guys that there were three words that I would use to sort of guide our walk through God's word over the course of this week. Those words being preparation and then provision. And then today I want to talk about the word promise. And Jesus promised his resurrection. So I want to spend some time just kind of unpacking that for us this morning as we think about what that meant in his original disciples' lives and then, of course, what it means in our life today. Last week, you'll remember that we read three different passages from the Gospel of Matthew. So I'm going to invite you to find your Bible now, if you've already got it with you, to turn to Matthew chapter 16 and uh, maybe give your kids a chance to get, get their Bibles open and find that. And then I'm going to invite you to stand with me as I read God's Word. I'm going to read three passages this morning. And I failed to have you sit back down at the end of the scripture reading last Sunday. So some of you, I understand, stood the entire time for the sermon. So if I don't tell you to sit back down, feel free to sit down after we read God's word together. But Matthew 16, 21, Jesus is speaking to the disciples. In each of these passages, he's essentially preparing them, speaking to them about what's going to happen when they get to Jerusalem in just a few days. And so in Matthew 16, 21, it says, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Then flip over to Matthew 17, beginning in verse 22. And this is what Jesus said. As they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus told them, the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day, he will be raised up. And they were deeply distressed. And one more passage. Turn over to Matthew chapter 20 and look in verse 17. And while they were going up to Jerusalem, Jesus took the 12 disciples aside privately and said to them on the way, See, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised. Thank you. You guys can be seated this morning. Jesus promised that he would rise from the dead. It was a promise. And that's what I want to talk to you about just for the next few minutes this morning is his promise of resurrection. First thing that I want you to see just in terms of a couple of discoveries here this morning is that Jesus, his promise is trustworthy. Now that may seem obvious to us on this side of the resurrection, but it wasn't for the original 11 disciples. Every time Jesus spoke of his death in the Gospel of Matthew, he also promised that he would rise from the dead. And his resurrection promise was very specific. He said, I will rise from the dead in three days. It's interesting to me that the disciples seemed to never really focus on that. All they could hear was that he was going to be killed and they couldn't imagine that. And yet every time he mentioned his dying, he also mentioned his resurrection. So his promise is trustworthy. This speaks to Jesus's credibility in terms of everything that he said and did in his life on earth. I often will say this when I'm sharing the gospel, that if God makes you a promise, he's unable to not keep that promise. God always keeps his promises. I used to hear Dr. Adrian Rogers uh, say this phrase when he would share the gospel at Bellevue Baptist Church. He would say, God promises that if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, that he will save you and God cannot break his promises or he ceases to be God. So every promise that the Lord Jesus made, including this one, which really seemed impossible to the disciples, that, that he would rise from the dead, every promise he kept, even promises that seemed impossible. Now, you may be going through something or maybe you have been through something recently 
in your life. Maybe it's a diagnosis or it's a struggle with a relationship or maybe even something's going on in your family. Then you're just, you just look at the situation and you feel like it's impossible. I know oftentimes in ministry, I talk with people and counsel with people who feel like they are facing impossible situations. And I want you to know that Jesus has promised to rise from the dead. That impossible promise that he kept proves his trustworthiness even when we go through unimaginable uh, things that we can't see any way out of. We know that his promises are still good. One night I was flipping through the channels and I, was, I happened to land on uh, a religious show. I didn't even know the guy, I didn't know anything about him. But I always listen in those situations because I'm curious to see if people are actually teaching the truth or if they're teaching heresy. And I heard this man quote, I, I, I'll quote him for you. I heard him say this thing that I couldn't believe my ears when he said it. He was talking about some calamity that was going to happen in the world in, in the future days. It was some prediction. And then he said this, he said, I'm not saying that it's going to happen, but I want you to remember that if it does end up happening, I said that it might happen. <laughs> and I remember thinking, well, that's not very much of a prediction or a promise. You're really hedging your bet there. You're, you're kind of saying that you don't really think it's going to happen, but in, just in case it does, just remember that I said it might. That's not the kind of promise Jesus made to his disciples. His promise was one of certainty. His promise re revealed who he was and what he was all about. So think about this. The promises of Jesus that he made to the disciples before he was crucified, before he resurrected, are several. And he made those promises to them so that when he was gone, after he'd ascended back into heaven, they would remember those promises and remember that he kept his promise to rise again after three days and they could therefore trust in all the other promises that he made. For example, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come when he ascended back into heaven. It says in Acts 1, 4, and 5, that while he was with them, Jesus, his disciples, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he, has, which he said, you have heard me speak about, uh, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in the days ahead. There are numer numerous references in the New Testament to Jesus promising the gift of the Holy Spirit. So his disciples could know that if he kept his promise about rising from the dead with that kind of specificity, three days, that he would also keep his other promises. Another promise that he made his disciples was to be present with us always. The last thing Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 28, before he ascended back into heaven was, he said, and remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So he wanted his disciples to be comforted by the fact that though they weren't going to be able to see him and interact with him physically, that he would still be very much a part of their lives and not just their lives, but our lives as well. And I don't know about you, but I have held on to that promise multiple times in my life when I didn't feel like the Lord was with me, but I knew he was with me because he always keeps his promises. His promises are trustworthy. And then think about this, the promise to return to earth. Jesus told his disciples that he would come back to the earth. That as they had seen him go, they would see him come back and he would return to earth. And we haven't witnessed that yet. We haven't experienced that yet. But we look back on the promises that he made when he was on the earth and we believe his promise. In the upper room, the night that Jesus was betrayed and um, arrested, he told his disciples a lot of different things. You can find those uh, teachings from John 13 to John 17. Well, in John 14, he says this to his disciples, if I go away, and prepare a place for you. And I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. So we don't waver in our belief that Jesus is gonna come back because he promised to do it and he keeps every one of his promises. He's trustworthy. He said this also in John 14, I've told you now before it happens, in other words, before he ascends, so that when it does happen, you may believe. 
So what Jesus is trying to communicate to us through his promises is that he's trustworthy. And I just want to stop and ask you this question. Is there anything that can make you doubt the trustworthiness of Jesus's promises to you? Because his promises always come true. He always keeps his word. So today at Easter, we celebrate the credibility of Jesus. We celebrate his trustworthiness, his character. When someone keeps a promise to you, it communicates something about who they are. And that certainly is true in the life of Jesus. So we celebrate the fact that he kept his promises in the past. So we know that he will keep them in the future. One of the things I would encourage you guys to do as a family, as you shelter in place this week, stay home and spend more time together as you're doing that anyway, is right after the service is over today, why don't you take a piece of paper out, a pad or something, and why don't you just pass it around the family? Maybe you'll do this at the lunch table or something and just write down some way in your life or multiple ways that you've seen God keep his promises in your life. Moms and dads do that. Let your kids do it. You might even want to post that somewhere in your house or get a whiteboard in your house. And as the week progresses, just give your kids and your family freedom to go by and write something else they think about. Those are the kinds of things that build faith into the next generation. And so we want to talk to them about the goodness of God and the way that he keeps his promises in our life. His promises are always trustworthy. Second thing I want you to see this morning is that his promise is transparent. Uh, Jesus kept his promise and it speaks to his identity. It speaks to who he is as a person. You know a lot about a person by the promises that they keep. You know a lot about their character. And Jesus gives us a clue into his true identity that he's actually God in the flesh by being able to keep this promise that he not only promised to do, but he actually followed through and actually did rise from the dead after three days. So the question in his day was, who is this man? Who, who is this man that he can do all these amazing things and has this power and this knowledge and this love that he could even rise from the dead? Who is he? He must be God. And that's exactly who he was. And you'll remember this, that there was a time when Jesus asked his disciples that question. He said, who do men say that I am? And some say Elijah, some say a prophet. Uh, you know, P Peter looked at him and said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus looked at him and said, on this rock, Peter, on the rock of your confession of my true identity, I will build my church and the, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then immediately following that interaction with his disciples, he told his disciples to not tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now that seems odd, doesn't it? Jesus who came to reveal to us God, the Bible says he was the exact representation of God in, in a body. He said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We know that Jesus came here to reveal who God is, to ultimately give us a, a picture in human flesh of what God is like but it wasn't his time yet. And later, as Jesus is crucified and then as he's resurrected, we see the ultimate transparency in Jesus's life. We see ultimately who he is, that he is the son of God sent by God with a mission from God, and that is to be the savior of the world. The last thing I want you to see this morning is this, that his promise is not only trustworthy, that it's not only transparent, and this is so important, his promise is transforming. I love this. It, this speaks to Jesus's mission. Jesus came to give life, to, to forgive our sins, but he also came to change us. He came to make us into the people that he actually envisioned us becoming and creating us to be. And so this week, one of the things I've been doing on my Facebook posts is just putting up various scriptures, all from the book of Acts related to the resurrection. 
the book of Acts speaks directly to each of us who follow Christ of the relationship between the resurrection and our responsibility to be a witness for him. That's what the, the bigger story in the book of Acts is all about. It's the story of the Acts of the first church, but all of that is based on Jesus's resurrection from the dead. Jesus's resurrection transformed his disciples into apostles. It transformed these men who had been scared and weak into these men who were bold as lions and, and helped them see their mission. Jesus came to give the church its mission. We communicate that this way at Moberly, that, that we're people leading all people into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's our mission. Now that's our mission corporately, but that's also each of our individual's mission and, and personal mission. I don't know if you've embraced that. One of the things you can say about the original 12 disciples is that while they were with Jesus, they didn't really embrace their mission. It was only after Jesus was resurrected that they fully embraced the mission of spreading the good news about Jesus, the gospel to the world. They knew that Jesus was unique. They even knew that he was the son of God, but they didn't fully understand that he was God until after he resurrected from the dead. And that truth transformed their lives to where they went from being very afraid for their lives to not even being afraid to speak to the most powerful people in their day. So when you think about the bodily resurrection of Jesus and you think about the fact that that tomb was empty on Easter morning, if you don't believe in the physical historicity of Jesus rising from the dead, you've got some explaining to do. You have to explain how that tomb became empty. You have to explain how the Roman seal that was put on that tomb was broken. You have to explain how the guards could have been overpowered in order to steal the body and make it look like by maybe his disciples that he had risen when in fact he hadn't. So you have a lot of explaining to do. You have to explain how there was such an uproar, according to historians in the city of Jerusalem, which led to persecution of people who were followers of Jesus Christ spreading all over the world. You have to explain too, which I think to me is perhaps the greatest evidence of the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's this, 11 men's lives who were com completely transformed after the resurrection. There's no other explanation for how these men went from being scared for their lives on the night that Jesus was arrested and every one of them to a man deserting Jesus in his greatest hour of need to then post-resurrection being as bold as lions. Ultimately, every one of those 11 men were martyred for their faith. Even John, who was exiled to the island of Patmos, which was basically a penal colony. Even John ended up spending the rest of his life in this isolated place with these terrible people. So every one of these 11 disciples ultimately gave their life for their belief that Jesus was resurrected. And there is no evidence anywhere that 11 men would conspire together and make a lie up about Jesus and then ultimately give their life for that. People don't give their lives for a lie. They don't. These men became completely convinced that Jesus Christ was exactly who he had said he was when he was with them. And that truth, that belief empowered everything that they did for the Lord. So, so how do you explain that those men would go from being fearful for their lives to being bold as lions? The only logical explanation is that they were fully convinced that Jesus Christ was who he was. No price was too great to pay even to give their lives. They were unafraid. And I think about that and I think about what Jesus did for these men and I think about the change in their lives. And the, and the 
fourth chapter of the book of Acts, you hear a story about Peter and Peter basically healed a man under the name of Jesus Christ and, and brought him to the fullness of his health and then preached a sermon and the chief religious people arrested Peter. Now this is the same Peter that promised on the night that Jesus was arrested that he would never deny Jesus. And ultimately he denied Jesus three times. He continued to follow Jesus around, but, but he ultimately denied Jesus three times, that he even knew Jesus. He'd spent three years of his life with Jesus. And in Jesus's greatest moment of need, Peter denied him. He walked away from him. And here he is in the book of Acts in the temple, the most visible place in the whole city of Jerusalem. And he's there and he heals a man. And then he preaches the gospel, talking to them about the fact that they had killed Jesus. And listen to what he says in verses eight through 12. It says, then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, them being the high priest, this is the same high priest who just days before had had Jesus turned over to the Roman uh, leaders like Pilate to be executed. So Peter's now before them and he says, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man by what means he was healed, let it be known by, to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, who you crucified, <laughs> it's very pointed, and whom God raised from the dead by him, this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders. He's in their face, which has become the cornerstone. And then he says this, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by people or given to people by which they must be saved. If you read the gospel accounts before Jesus was resurrected, and then you read the book of Acts, you barely recognize these men that, that are preaching the gospel so boldly. Can you imagine Peter standing in front of the high priest and saying, you crucified the son of God. You're the problem. That's basically what he was saying. He was confronting the most powerful people of his day with the boldness of a lion because he became convinced that Jesus Christ was exactly who he said he was. Let me ask you a simple question this morning. Has your faith in the resurrected Jesus, has it transformed your life? These men experienced transformation. There's no question about it. Have you experienced that same transformation? Is your life characterized more, does it look more like what Peter and the other 11 disciples experienced on the night that Jesus was arrested when they deserted him? Or is your life more characterized by Peter and the apostles in the book of Acts who never missed an opportunity to talk about Jesus and what Jesus could do because his promise transformed them. Which one are you more like? Jesus' promise is transforming to all of us who believe. So I wanna ask you a question this morning. If you've never asked Christ to come into your life, if you reject salvation from Jesus, who God testified to of his authenticity and his credibility through bringing him back from the dead. If you reject Jesus, what will you do for salvation? There's no other religion in the world. There's no other religious leader in the world who's risen from the dead, only Jesus. He stands alone in that. And if you reject God's gift of Jesus, his provision for you, what hope do you have of spending eternity in heaven? You don't have any hope. The only hope, the only answer 
is to put your faith in Jesus Christ and to allow, allow him to transform your life. And you may think, well, I don't know how to transform my life. You don't have to transform your life. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he will transform you. He will change you. We talk about an ever growing relationship. And when you put your faith in Jesus, you're ever changing, you're ever growing to look more and more like him. And so I wanna go back and just hit what Peter said at the very end of that, uh, that passage I read from Acts 4, that there's salvation in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given among people by which we must be saved. Only the name of Jesus because only Jesus rose from the dead. And so this morning, if you would like to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior, I can make you the promise that if you put your trust in him, he will save you because he always keeps his promises. And he promises to save you when you put your trust in him. The Bible says, Jesus said of himself, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father unless they come through me. There's no other name, the Bible says, that we can be saved by, only the name of Jesus. And this morning, if you would like to put your faith in Jesus Christ, then I wanna lead you in calling upon his name to save you. The Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And this morning, I would like to lead you in a simple calling out to the Lord. You can call it a prayer, but it's not a prayer that saves you. It's faith. It's your belief that he's who he said he is. And therefore, because you believe he's the savior of the world, you call on him to save you. And he answers that prayer every single time. So this morning, right where you are, if you want to simply call out to the Lord, I'll lead you in that. It's an, admission, it's an admission that you are turning away from sin in your life, that you're rejecting sin in your life, and that you are fully leaning and depending and trusting in Jesus Christ, his finished work on the cross and his resurrection. So if that's you, let me just lead you now. Just simply say this to the Lord, dear God in heaven, I know that I'm a sinful person. I know that I've offended you by my sin and I reject my sin now. I turn my back on it. I don't want sin in my life. I wanna have a relationship with you. I fully put my trust in you right now. I fully depend on you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for coming into my life and making me a brand new person. Help me now to learn how to be transformed. Transform me, change me into the person that you want me to be, that you made me to be. I pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Now the Bible says that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and when you repent, you turn away from your sin, that all the angels in heaven above rejoice. And we wanna rejoice with you as well. In fact, what you can do one of the next steps you ought to do if you just prayed to receive Christ is, is whoever invited you to our service today is you ought to just text them or call them and let them know what you've done, that you are not ashamed of your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe let your family know, tell a close friend, and then follow the Lord in believer's baptism. In fact, this week at our church, I got to baptize two brothers, James and JD, and I want you to turn your attention now to their baptism. So James, what's your testimony? I'm James Casey and I'm not ashamed. Amen. James, because of your faith in Christ, I baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Married with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. JD, what's your testimony? My name is Jodon Casey, I'm not ashamed. Jodon, because you profess your faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're buried with Christ in baptism, Raised to walk in the newness of life. So it's, it's awesome to see these guys follow the Lord in believer's baptism. 
And this morning, if that's your next step in the days ahead, we love an opportunity to be involved in that with you, to help baptize you or help you find a church where you live that, that believes the Bible that could baptize you scripturally. But you can do something for us to help us connect with you this morning. You can simply text next step one to 555-888 and someone from our church will contact you and try to help you take your next step, which is believer's baptism. We very much love to help you in that. Just wanna say thank you this morning for tuning in, for opening God's word with us, for thinking about the promise of Jesus that we can count on all of our lives. Just know that whatever we go through in our life, his promises never change and they never fail. And I hope that brings you encouragement this morning. I'm glad you're with us.